Today's scripture reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 44, which are on page 717 of the church Bibles. If you don't have a Bible here with you and you'd like one, uh, Andy is on hand to bring you one. Just raise your hand. Uh, If you uh, don't have a Bible at home and you'd like one, please take one home with you as a gift from the church. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Max. Nice shirt, by the way. (laughs) It's good taste. I think Caleb is also wearing a similar uh, colored shirt, so he got the memo, so... Shame on the rest of you. Uh, So today we are going back to the Gospel of Luke. We were in this, I think we started at Christmas 2017, actually, and then we've taken like breaks, and I didn't think we were going to come back to the Gospel of Luke, but actually I decided, let's come back for Easter time. Uh, And so, although we're not quite lining up with the church calendar uh, you know, kind of a, a more typical church calendar would be Palm Sunday, this text obviously the Sunday before Easter, and then, you know, a church might have like a a Monday, Thursday service, Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday. I just don't like to skip from like the the triumphant entry to like the the resurrection. To me, there's some things in there, there's some things in that Passion Week that I want to slow down and focus on, which means we're going to do... Palm Sunday, uh, many weeks early. Uh, so that's kind of the reasoning uh, behind it. We're just going to kind of meditate on uh, Christ's passion narrative for the next couple weeks through Easter, and then uh, we'll follow up uh, in the rest of the Gospel of Luke, kind of those closing chapters as well. So I think there's one more Gospel Project video that goes along uh, with it. But before we do any of that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Easter. Thanks for the resurrection. Thank you for sending your son into this world to suffer for us so that we might live with you forever and ever in joy. 
I pray that we would come to know and worship Christ Jesus more through this sermon series as we focus on just the, the high cost that he paid for us. We're so grateful, uh, Father, for Jesus. Uh, we love him. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so my sermon series, uh, well, my sermon series is entitled The Certain Gospel, but today's sermon title is The Easter Parade. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about this passage as a parade, but as I was thinking about parades, I began to think of all the different parades that I have been to. Uh, so I guess the parade that I'm most familiar with is the Estes Park Catch the Glow Parade. Uh, so I think they renamed it from like the Christmas Parade or the day after Thanksgiving Parade to the Catch the Glow Parade. Take, take that for what you will. Uh, it's, it kind of sounds dangerous. Like what is glowing? Like why is it glowing? Uh, this could be a, a dangerous thing. Uh, it was a fun parade. Uh, I brought some pictures to share because I like pictures. Uh, and so I think this is of like some nutcrackers. This is one of the floats in the parade. Uh, it was fun because you, the day after Thanksgiving, you would walk down from my house. It's about a half mile from my house to the center of our town. And you would stand there and you'd be waiting and it would be cold. Uh, maybe you've been to a parade around here during the winter season. Uh, maybe not. Uh, and you just kind of wait, and, and for us, there was always like the, the, the beginning of the parade was these flashing lights. It was always the fire trucks that kicked off the parade. So you'd see the lights coming, and then you knew, ah, uh, the parade is coming, and we're going to have great floats like this one, and, uh, and some bands, and uh, Christmas lights, and people in costume. It was just a fun uh, time. And we have some parades around here, right? Cornerstone Congregational Church has participated in not one, but three apple blossom parade uh, parades uh, in May of 2016. We had our first participation. We did the Fun in the Sun float, and we actually won like the little trophy for the year for the best uh, float. I think it was because we had some people dressed up in flip-flops dancing around down the street. It was a lot of fun, and then we participated as well, and the next year, Candy is Sweet, but Jesus is Sweeter. I thought this one was a sweet uh, parade float, uh, but we didn't win this year, unfortunately. Uh, and then last year, we also had a uh, kind of a, a, just a time to kind of walk, and we had like a wagon and balloons and uh, bubbles that were blowing. It was just a kind of a way to get uh, Cornerstone's name out there, and it was a lot of fun. Now, I don't think the Apple Blossom Parade, in kind of the big scheme of all the parades out there, is a very significant or important parade, right? It's like a fun time of community, getting out in our town. It was fun to participate. But I think there are other parades out there that are far more significant. Maybe you've been to a Memorial Day parade, right, where uh, as part of the parade, you're remembering and honoring fallen soldiers Maybe you've been to a 4th of July parade, right? The Kind of the significance of that is to foster uh, patriotic uh, spirits. So there's a significance to it. And the most important parade of them all, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, right? It helps foster gratitude, thanksgiving, and a love of the Red Power Ranger, I guess. I'm not really uh, sure uh, what that's about. Now, the week before his crucifixion, 
Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry, Jesus is throwing a parade. He is single-handedly leading a parade into Jerusalem. And this is the second most significant parade in all of history, and you missed it, (laughs) and I missed it. This was a really important parade that meant something really powerful and really significant, but I actually think because it's in the gospel, because uh, Luke records it, so do the other gospel authors, that there's actually an implied invitation to us to come and participate in the parade by how we respond. And so I think there's a way for you to kind of join the parade. But first I want to talk about what it signifies. Why is this parade that Christ Jesus leads important? Because Jesus is leading a royal yet humble parade. Jesus is leading a royal yet humble parade. Now, as you saw in the Gospel Project video a bit earlier, uh, Jesus did much of his ministry in northern Galilee for three years of ministry. And in Luke chapter 9, which we, we saw earlier, uh, uh, well, we saw last year, uh, Jesus begins to make his way from the north, from Galilee, down south to Jerusalem. He stops in Jericho. And then he gets to our passage tonight. He gets to kind of the suburbs of Jerusalem, Bethany, Bethphage. It's about three quarters a mile east of Jerusalem, and it's on this Mount of Olives. And instead of just walking into town, because Jesus walked most places in his ministry, like he he didn't ride a donkey normally, instead of walking into town, he stops and he sends his disciples to go get a donkey, because he's going to lead a parade into Jerusalem. Now, Jesus, by stopping at the Mount of Olives, is fulfilling a very specific Old Testament prophecy. It's an ancient prophecy that comes from the book of Zechariah, Zechariah 14, 3 through 4. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle, On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. So you can see that Jesus is beginning to fulfill this prophecy, right? There's no earthquake at this moment. The hills aren't split apart, but Jesus is beginning to fulfill it. He's making a connection for his audience. He's making a connection for the people in Jerusalem. He's making a connection for the crowds that are going to come out and, and kind of line the road to, to, to welcome him into Jerusalem. He's saying, I am the Lord. I am the one who stands on the Mount of Olives. I am your coming king. And in this passage, we see the Lord comes to wage war, right? And so if you expected like a a general to to wage war in in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, you typically see them like on on a horse. You would see someone come in on a black or white war horse because that was the kind of the the statement of power. It's what you went to battle on. But Jesus instead, what does he choose? He chooses a colt or a donkey. Well, that's different. (laughs) That's not what you would expect. Uh, 
uh, one of the Gordon Conwell professors said that this is, this is like the president, instead of riding a tank into Washington, D.C., he rides a limo. Now, if our president was riding on a tank in D.C., what would that signify? It would signify war. It would signify a hostile takeover. But if you're in the limo, if you're in the presidential limo, you're kind of signifying, well, I own the place. <laughs> this is my authority. This is my place. And so in some ways, it was right for Jesus to ride a colt, but a limo in our culture kind of signifies this thing of luxury, of power, and a colt, a, a donkey is different than that. It's a, it's a symbol of humility. And so this is not a military parade that Jesus is entering into the town. It's an inauguration. See, Jesus, for the first time in his ministry, is publicly saying, I am the Messiah. I am the king. I am God's chosen ruler for this city. And I'm going to ride in on a donkey in fulfillment of all these great Old Testament prophecies. We see the first one in Genesis 49, 10 through 11. The scepter will not depart from Judah. Jesus was born from the tribe of Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to him it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. Jesus is the king from the tribe of Judah and King David recognizes this theme and when he, when he kind of uh, appoints his son Solomon to be king, what does he do? King David said, call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, take your Lord's servant with you and have Solomon my son mount my own mule and take him down to Gihon. But the most important prophecy takes us back to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And how is this king going to come? As a warrior or someone who brings peace? Verse 10 I will take away the chariots from, from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from rivers to the and from the river to the ends of the earth. So there was a lot of drama, there was a lot of emotion surrounding the idea of the Messiah. The people in Jerusalem would have assumed that, that the Messiah was going to be a warrior. See, they're under Roman oppression. So what else could the Messiah do but come and liberate the people of Jerusalem? But when Jesus comes in on a donkey, he's saying, no, I'm not actually interested in that sort of liber liberation. In some ways, Jesus is a warrior, but he's come to wage war against sin, against death, against human rebellion. And he's not going to do it at sacrificing his enemies. He's going to do it by sacrificing himself. And so, what mode of transportation could match that humble act of self-sacrifice but a donkey? This is different than our, our culture. This is, 
when we see royalty, we say, you know, they got to be in like uh, uh, really nice cars. And, uh, and actually going back to the apple blossom parade, uh, last year we actually let the uh, Kiwanis clubs, they do this thing every year where they uh, nominate uh, some seniors from the, uh, some senior girls from the Westford Academy uh, to be like the queen of the parade, right? And it's chosen based on, you know, academic achievement and uh, service to your community. <coughs> and they ride through the parade, and they parked in our parking lot this year. Uh, we helped them out that way. And they ride on really nice sports cars, right? You can see them. And at least one of them was, I think it was somewhere between forty dollars and $60,000. Like, it was a really nice sports car. You get the idea, right? Royalty deserves a royal treatment. If we have a queen, she gets the best ride. But Jesus' kingdom is the exact opposite of this. It's like he's riding in on a beat-up clunker. He's saying, I'm king, but my kingdom is different. My kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's different than what you expect. Yes, Jesus leads a royal parade, but it's also a humble parade. And it's as this parade approaches you and me tonight (coughs) that we realize that we're going to have to respond. We're going to have to respond to this parade. So we're going to encounter Jesus, and we can watch him just ride by, or we can do something about him in our lives. We have a choice. See, his parade confronts us with a choice. We can either praise him and follow him, or we can reject him. Maybe you've seen the the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Well, what figure shows up at the end of the parade? Santa. Like, Santa brings up the end of the parade. And, in fact, that was true in Estes Park as well, a much less impressive Santa Uh, But apparently he shows up there as well. He's everywhere these days. Um, Santa is not real, if there's anyone out there uh, who believes. But Jesus is real, right? And in a parade, like, you have the opportunity in the Estes Park Parade that, like, once the parade goes by, you can choose to, to walk behind Santa, and you can join the parade, and you can walk the length of our town and and join in the festivities, or you can realize, like, it's really cold out. I just want to walk home, like, get some hot chocolate, uh, you know, watch Netflix, and enjoy the rest of the evening. Which one do you think, like, I chose year after year? I definitely chose the go home and get warm one, and that's fine for this sort of parade, but with Jesus' parade, that's the wrong response. So the right response for Jesus' parade is to, to join the parade, to follow after Christ Jesus, to take part in the festivities by praising him and honoring him and, and glorifying him. We call being a disciple of Jesus a follower of Jesus. That means following the teachings and the life of Christ Jesus and, and believing in him. See, so the, the right response to Christ is acceptance. His parade confronts us with a choice, and we can either accept him or reject him. Now, we see a couple different examples of acceptance in our passage, right? We see the crowd of disciples, 
Now, this is not talking about the 12 disciples. This is kind of talking about all the people throughout Jesus' ministry that have followed him. And, you know, it's Passover week, so a great many of them have come to Jerusalem. They've seen him before. Maybe, maybe he has fed them with loaves or fish or done a miracle in front of them, healing people. And so, yeah, they're really into this. They're, they're going to sing, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're actually echoing those songs from the, that the angels sang in Luke chapter 2. And boy, their praise seems genuine, doesn't it? But our passage actually hints that it's not because our passage says that they were glorifying and they were praising him for all the miracles they had seen. See, they praise him, and sometimes we praise him, sometimes we join in the parade, not for who Jesus is, but for what he can do for me, what he can do for us. It's, it's right to praise him. It is correct to praise him. But if it's only for what he can do for me, what he can supply for me, then we've missed the point. In John's account, the, the crowd waves the palm branches and, and like lays the palm branches down before him. The palm branch was a national symbol for Jerusalem. It was like their flag. So you can kind of imagine the scene in our own culture if if Jesus was coming into Boston and we lined the streets and we all got our American flags out and waved them and draped one over him like an Olympian. Well, would that be the right thing to do? I don't think so. Not at all. Jesus has not just come for Israel. He's come for any who would repent and believe in him, all the nations. And they expect the people lining these streets, they expect Jesus to liberate them. And so it's no wonder when a week from then, like, well, the first thing he does, right, is he goes into the temple and he disrupts their economic and their social and their religious system by making a scene and, and, and uh, kind of throwing the money changers out. And that's like the first hint that he is not coming in on their terms. He is coming in on his terms. And if you want to be a part of Christ's parade, it cannot be on your terms. It has to be on Jesus' terms. You have to join in the parade the way that he calls you, to be one of his disciples, to be his follower, this isn't a, a relationship where we come into it saying, okay, I'm going to get this out of Jesus. I'm going to get this out of Jesus. You know, I'm going to pray when things go bad. I'm going to ignore him the rest of the time. That's not a true relationship with God at all. That's not really, that's being, that's being a part of the parade, but not really a follower. It's no wonder that they shout crucify him when he doesn't liberate them. And I can only imagine the crowds when Jesus is, is on trial and he's, he's allowing himself to be, to, 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 to be led to his execution that they're like, we thought this guy was going to be our political victor and instead he's a complete disappointment. Crucify him. He's not going to do what we want, crucify him. Now we would never do this, Right? <laughs> We would never turn on someone if they didn't give us what, they, what we want, right? I, I was thinking of more parades. The parades were, was on my mind this week, and I thought of a recent one that maybe some of you actually went to, the, 
Super Bowl parade following the Patriots win. Did anyone go to that? No? Yeah, I saw, that wasn't a hand wave. Uh, Andy just kind of moved his eyebrows at me. I don't know what that was about. So there's this parade, right? So the, the, the Patriots win the Super Bowl. There's a parade in Boston. They come down. There's thousands of fans. They line the street. They wave their flags. There's like confetti shooting out. People are excited. People are stoked. And they're, you know, there's this guy that they all like, perhaps even worship, King Brady. <laughs> and they like him, right? But is that is that... Is that love of Brady based on a genuine care for who Tom Brady is? No. It's based on what Tom Brady can do for me. He can win our team, my team, the Super Bowl. Man, if next year he doesn't get us to the Super Bowl, it's going to happen. <laughs> hey, it's going to be no good. We might even turn on him. You might say, get rid of him. As Christians, we're confronted with a choice, right? How are we going to worship Jesus? That's part of being in the parade. How are we going to follow him? Is it just for what he can do for us? Or is it because we love him and we want to know him and we want to be in genuine relationship with him? I don't want to kind of have that as my model for my relationship with God, this kind of consumeristic, what can you do for me, pattern. There are other examples in our passage. So there's the people that gave Jesus the donkey, right? Jesus sends out this requisition crew, and they, his two disciples, and they go, and they get this donkey, and they're like, why are you taking our donkey? This colt, this young donkey that's never been ridden on before, it's a kind of a symbol of purity, and, and they say the Lord has need of it, and they give it. And in Mark, it says that they, they let the donkey go, like they let it go. So we don't really know what happens with these people, right? They're willing to give up their, their donkey, their animal. I hope that they went to the parade, but we don't really know. And that's a, just a reminder to us, like we don't want to be people that, yeah, we're willing to give God our money on occasion, or perhaps on occasion we'll give him some of our time, but we're actually not interested in praising him. We're actually not interested in worshiping him. Or seeing him. There's another uh, example, a parade example, a lot of parade examples. That's kind of like sponsoring a parade, right? Every parade, they get these sponsors. And you're like, you know, the bank and Market Basket and Dairy Queen and all the different places. They, 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 do you guys have Dairy Queens in Dunkin' Donuts, okay. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts uh, sponsors the parade. But it's like no one from that, that organization or that company actually shows up to watch the parade, right? In theory, you could say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But if you're not part of like a, a Christian community, if you're not actively kind of lining up with other followers of Jesus to worship Jesus and to be obedient to him, then you're not a part of the parade. You're, you, maybe you're a sponsor, but you're not a part of the parade. And then we're challenged as well, like, if we don't go, what are we doing? Are we perhaps a part of a different parade? Are we lining up for other things in our life? What's taking the place of Christ Jesus? If we don't have time for him, is it 
Is it the Patriots? Is it the news? Is it politics? Is it career? Is it family? None of these things are bad. These are all good things. But if they become ultimate things, they become idols, and they take us away from the parade that we're supposed to walk in. So what parade are you walking in? Another example of of good following of Christ, a good participant, is the disciples, right? They get it right. They hear what Jesus wants. They obey. They go get the donkey. They bring it back. And then it says that they put their cloaks on the donkey. Don't miss that moment. They laid the the cloaks down so that Jesus, as he rode on this donkey, would ride on these cloaks. In the Old Testament, Elisha, one of the Old Testament prophets, when he anoints Jehu, king of Israel, the men uh, underneath Jehu's command, they lay down their cloaks for him to stand on. It's a royal They're declaring, the disciples are declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is king. I don't think they fully understand what that means yet, but at least they're most of the way there. (laughs) They join the parade. They may scatter at the Garden of Gethsemane, but they're going to come back again. So how should we accept Jesus? How should we join in the parade as followers of Christ today? Did you know that some churches actually have a parade? And we could certainly incorporate elements of this. These are more liturgical or formal churches. Do you know what's happening at the beginning of like a a Catholic or Episcopalian or an Anglican church service is a parade, right? First comes in the cross. That always leads the procession. It's kind of symbolic of Christ's presence being like coming into the gathered church community in a special way, kind of focusing our minds on his sacrifice. And then there's two candles. I don't know if that symbolizes maybe the Holy Spirit, I don't really know. And then the other guy carries a gospel, right? God's word. And they come in and it's this procession and they set it down in the front. And I think God is interested in us loving him and us honoring him. But I don't think he's interested in just our religious acts, Right? We could incorporate something like this, but I think we would be missing the parade that Christ Jesus is really interested in. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I think it's nice. Um, But at the end of the service, what happens? The processional reverses, and Christ, well, the cross leads them out of the sanctuary. And it's like Christ is leading the congregation, the gathered body, out into the world to go on mission, to love and care for the poor, to preach the gospel. There's, there's a symbolism to this that is really quite nice. And I think that's kind of the parade that we're supposed to be in. Because I think sometimes as Christians, what do we do? We, 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 we help build the parade float. Right? We, we, we get the t-shirt. We show up the morning of the parade and then the parade starts and we all go home. Because <laughs> we're not really interested in, in sharing about Christ with our lost friends. We're not really interested in caring for the hurt and the broken out in the world. And that's what that's an example of. I think the type of parade that Jesus is interested in is one where we are marching his presence out into the world and we're declaring he is king. And we're preaching gospel words and we're doing gospel deeds. 
We're saying this is Christ. This is the prey that we can be a part of, kind of continuing the ministry and the kingdom of Christ Jesus in our world. There are important moments where we come together as a gathered community and worship God, but there's also moments where we're supposed to go out. I want to tell you about one of them uh, tonight. So I've had all these great photos of the Apple Blossom Parade tonight, and guess what? The outreach team decided we're not going to do the Apple Blossom Parade this year. Now, you can do it if you want. You can have a, a float of one uh, or, uh, or join another group or certainly go to the parade. But the outreach team is really trying to get away from just being kind of an attractional church where if we do enough advertising, people will just show up. Instead, we want to go out into the world and love broken and hurt people. This is why we've been trying to emphasize safe families. This is why uh, we also want to bring a, another opportunity to you called uh, Habitat for Humanity of Lowell. On June 22nd, uh, we need to get a, a team of volunteers, between six and 12 volunteers, to, to go work on a house in Lowell uh, for a low-income individual and help them build their house. It's going to be mostly inside work, and uh, it's from 8 to 3, and you have to be over 18 years of age, so sorry if you're younger than 18 years of age. There's, I'm sure we'll find other ways for you to serve uh, but I think this is an opportunity, right, for us to parade the presence and the power and the love of Christ Jesus out into our world. And instead of, instead of spending our time advertising to 21,000 people, we want to love one family really well. And I think we can all do that. So come talk to me if you're interested. Maybe even, maybe you can invite like a friend, a coworker who doesn't know Jesus to come and be a part of the service team just for that day and we can rub shoulders with them and, and say, well, we're here because we love Jesus. Glad that you can participate in the parade. Let's make sure that you know, you're not just a crowd disciple, that you become a following disciple, an obedient disciple. So his parade confronts us with a choice, right? Acceptance or rejection. But unfortunately, we see examples of rejection in our passage, right? We see the Pharisees, the super religious. They say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus tells them, no way, because if they're not praising me, the rocks are going to cry out. It's not just the Pharisees that reject Jesus, though. The whole city doesn't get it. He begins to weep, just like the, the Bible Project pointed out. He begins to weep out of sorrow that, that their eyes have been shut. If you, verse 42, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. There's this mystery there in that they are responsible for their rejection of Jesus, and yet it is also hidden from their eyes. It's like this parade is going by, and they can hear it, and they can see kind of see blurry images, but they can't really see who Jesus is. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're seeing Jesus go by, you're hearing things, you're hearing the music, you're, you're hearing about Jesus, but you just can't quite grasp who Jesus is. And if that's you, I want to just encourage you to, to keep coming and keep learning and call out to Christ, call him to, to come and appear. And, and like stop the parade, stop the parade and come and make yourself known to me. Reveal yourself to me. You do that by just saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I repent, 
I believe in you. I trust in you. You are the king. You are the Messiah. You've come to bring peace on earth through forgiving our sins, through forgiving my sins. And that's like the first step on the parade. That's the first step in this wonderful procession that, that, that leads to eternal life. The consequence, though, of rejection, of not taking that step, is death. And that was vividly and graphically demonstrated by the destruction of the temple in 70 AD when Rome came and absolutely devastated Jerusalem. Eternal death is much worse, though. Don't reject Jesus. But maybe you've lived a life of rejection. You don't, you don't see yourself believing in him anytime soon. Well, there's still hope for you because after Jesus' resurrection, the people that nailed him to the cross, in Acts chapter 2, they hear Peter preaching, and they are convicted. They are cut to the heart, and they repent, and they believe, and they are forgiven and saved. And that's not everyone that nailed Jesus to the cross, but there are some. Acts chapter 2, and it's beautiful. It's not too late. So this parade, this triumphant entry, it has, it has, kind of, it, it has ended in that moment, but then there's a way for us to continue to participate as we bring Christ's presence out into our world. But that is the second most significant parade in all of history. Because there is another parade that is coming that is much more significant. This is my big idea that King Jesus is coming. Come join the parade. See, Jesus came on a donkey at his first parade, and he is coming on the war horse on his second parade. He is bringing judgment. He is coming again to save all who repent and believe in him. And this will be the single most significant parade in all of history. This will be his final triumphant entry. I just want to read a passage. I'm not going to put it on the screen. It's a Revelation chapter 19, and it tells us about this parade. I saw heaven standing open, and, before, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. Here's the parade. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King Jesus is coming. Join the bread. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for what you have done through Christ. Lord, help us get our lives in line with Christ. Would we truly follow him? Would we be a part of his parade? There are so many other things that we can stand for in this world. Would we stand for him? We can't do this without your Holy Spirit. 
working through us. Would your grace be so evident on our lives that we just, like those disciples, we just shout joyfully because the king has come. We need you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.